What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. It is indeed an honor and a privilege to come to you tonight at midnight. It shows your love for God, your dedication, your commitment to what you believe God has called you to do. You know, God wants us to have an attitude of praise and an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, There are over 500 people on this call right now that I know of, over 500, over 600, over 700. People are coming, and they're coming on this call, not for flesh, not for blood, you know, but I believe there's somebody on this call who really need answers, who really desire direction and instruction from God. You know, there's a familiar passage that we teach all the time about the disciples. You know, the Bible declares that at midnight, Paul and Silas sang and gave praises. They prayed and sang praises unto God. You know, over the last couple of weeks, and God has been really revolutionizing my life and my teaching and showing me how off I really was. Now, you know, that's how you grow. You have to admit that you're wrong. Some of us don't want to do that. You know, when I was a child, 1 Corinthians 13, I speak as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I mean, there's so much that I was taught. And I'm learning that I was taught wrong. And I'm willing to admit that. I'm willing to admit that there are things that I was taught, things that I believe, that my whole belief system and my whole construct of who God is has changed. Many of them know God as master, but we don't know him as father. And because we know him as master, we always think he's in heaven about to get us, about to judge you. You do something wrong, he's ready to smash you, smack you with a fly swatter. But I'm glad to know that the God that I serve said in Romans 8 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And he's my daddy. And you know, when the prodigal son came home after he had done wrong, he thought he was going to have to work to be accepted again. Thought he was going to have to be a slave. But God said, come on home and let's have a party because my son is home. You know, I want you to know today you are a son. You are a son of God. According to Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. You're a son of God. You are a son of God. You are a son of God. Get that in your spirit. You're not just a servant. You're a son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, no longer do I call you servant, but I call you friend. What love, no greater love hath the man than the man that would lay down his life for his friend. God called us his friend. He's our elder brother. Jesus is my elder brother. He's your daddy. Daddies don't look forward to punishing. They look forward to rewarding. They don't look forward to getting you back. They look forward to building you up. I'm learning so much about God, and God is teaching me so much about him because I came from the Pentecostal Holiness Church and a pastor, great pastors, great leaders who I love and respect. But you know what? We have a tendency of just repeating what we've been taught. and They use the word of God, but maybe they didn't study correctly. Maybe I didn't study correctly. As the Bible says, the Berean went home and searched the scriptures daily to see what the apostles' teach was so. Or maybe that's what I needed to know in that season. God knows what it takes for us. See, the Bible declares we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. And God knows what it takes to draw you, just like a man. He knows what it takes to get a woman. He knows how to pull on her. He knows how to get her. And then it's going to take something different to keep her. But whoso findeth a wife, 
You keep on finding that woman. You don't find her one time, but you keep finding her. And I want to say to you today that as you walk with God, there are things. Bishop T.D. Jake said this to me one day sitting in his home. He said, there are things you preach now. Give it time. You won't preach it anymore. My pastor, Brother McCord, told me what you preach today, 10 years from now, you your whole revelation will change. And I see it to be true because you learn who God is. You tap into different realms. You know, the Bible declares that every time the angels see him, they say, holy, holy, holy. You know why? Every time they say holy, they see a part of God they've never seen before. You know, he's so big, yet he's so tall, you can't go over him. He's so low, you can't go under him. He's so wide, you can't go around him. So every time they see a part of him they've never seen, all they can say is holy because they keep seeing parts of him that they've never seen. That's how big he is. That's how fast he is. He's that large. He's that big that you can never get a corner on him. The minute you think you got a corner on him, he'll do something else just to let you know that he is God. Am I making sense? So God's been showing me how everything is already done and how he never responds to me. And I was telling you a minute ago about how we love to talk about Paul and Silas, how they prayed and sang praises to God. And I always thought that the reason they prayed and sang praises to God, you know, the way you've heard that preach is they knew that if you praise God, the prison doors were going to come open. But I want to let you know I don't believe that anymore. I do not believe they praise God for the prison doors to come open. I don't believe that. I believe that Paul and Silas had an attitude of praise. They had an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, if you are a believer, you're supposed to have an attitude of gratitude. You are always to give him the thanks. You're always to give him the glory. To give him the honor. Whether he does it or not, you still bless him. Because he said in First Thessalonians five eighteen, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Psalm thirty four, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He had an attitude of gratitude. These disciples were praisers. They always praised God. This is when they were leaving from being beat. And you know why they were rejoicing? They were rejoicing because they had just got beat. Now imagine you calling on the name of Jesus, somebody knocking you upside the head with a nine millimeter, and while they're walking away, you're saying, thank you. I love you, Jesus. I bless you. You know, when you look at times in the past, you know, the Christians used to suffer. They were under such scrutiny under Nero. Uh, uh, if you understand extra-biblical writings and the history of the church, you understand that Nero, the emperor Nero, would cover his ears because Christians, hallelujah, were being uh, eaten by lions. They would throw Christians into the, into the you know, the, 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 the arena with lions, and they would be eating the Christians alive. That lions would. That's why First Peter five says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion." Lions were something that they could relate to. They would be thrown in an arena with a bunch of lions, and while they were thrown in that arena, being eaten by lions, they were in there praising God, loving Jesus, thanking Him, and Nero covered his ears because it bothered him that they were singing and giving God praise while they were being persecuted. They were not praising him to come out. They were praising him because they were counted worthy to suffer for righteousness' sake. 
They were praising him because they went through persecution. One man, his son, his six-month-old child, and his wife was killed. And he wrote on the tombstone, today my wife and son died for the gospel. He rejoiced that he lost his wife for the gospel. What are you willing to lose? He gave it up. These people were praisers. If you go to China, they boil skin off of their body. And while their skin is being boiled off of their body, guess what they're saying? I love you, soldiers. Jesus loves you. And the soldiers are coming to Jesus. Because they say, how can people who are being beaten, who are being eaten, who are being destroyed, how can they praise God? Because they had an attitude of thanksgiving. I believe Paul and Silas had an attitude of thanksgiving. They were not praising God for the prison doors to come open. No, they were praising God because they were in prison. They was in prison for the name of Jesus. They went in there praising God and just prayed and sung praises to God, giving him the glory. And this is what I believe the Lord said with me. I believe that they praised God so much that heaven began to hear the tune of their praise and God just tapped his foot. And when God tapped his foot, an earthquake came. They wasn't trying to get an earthquake. They just made God tap his foot. And when God tapped his foot, an earthquake came and the prison doors were open. But I know that they were not praising God to get out of prison because guess what? When the prison doors came open, guess what he told the jailer? Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. They didn't leave. If they were praising to get out, they would have left when the prison doors opened. They didn't leave. They stayed in place because their praise was not to get something. Their praise was not to come out. Their praise was appreciation and love for God that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Why do you praise? Are you praising because you want something? Are you giving because you want something? Are you in church? Do you fast? Do you pray all because you want something? Or is it out of a dedication and an earnest love for God? Father, I just love you today. Father, I bless you. I honor you. I exalt you. 12 o'clock midnight tonight, you stayed awake. Did you stay awake because you thought you were going to hear prophecy? Did you stay awake because you wanted something? Or did you stay awake because you love God and you love his word? And you love his word so much that if it's 12 o'clock, if it's 4 o'clock, if I have to be inconvenienced to hear his word, I don't mind being inconvenienced because I love him more than anything. They had an attitude of praise. They had an attitude of thanksgiving. And this has completely changed my thinking. It has changed the way I live. It has changed my look. It has made me question myself and ask myself, do I really love God? Do I love him like I say I do? Or am I just going to church? Am I really in love with Jesus? Does he really mean everything to me? Is everything I'm doing it, am I doing it with a motive? Do I have an agenda? Or do I really love him? Will I give, am I doing it with a motive? Am I dancing because the preacher said dance and you're going to get a breakthrough? Am I doing it for something? Or am I doing it just because I love him and he's worthy of the glory? Am I giving because I want something back, or am I giving because I really believe he's worthy 
everything that I possess. It has changed my whole thinking because the motivation for everything that we do, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is supposed to be love. And if you're not moved and motivated out of love, keep your money. Every seed you sow, every time you dance, every time you shout, every time you read your word, are you reading your word to please him? Because reading your Bible doesn't please him. What pleases him is faith and what he has done. Are you praying to please him? Are you praying out of obligation? Or are you praying because you really want to spend time with the lover of your soul, the creator of the universe? Are you spending time with him because you want something in return? And if I, I need to pray because if I don't, I feel bad? Or do you really love him so much that you hate not being in his presence? If you're in a relationship and you're not around your boyfriend, you get upset. You're not around your girlfriend, your husband and wife. You get mad if they don't spend time with you. Well, why don't you feel the same way with him? Maybe you don't love him. Maybe this is a game to you. Maybe we've all been playing games. And maybe we've never fell in love with Jesus. The people in the first century church were completely dedicated. You know why? Because they met Jesus. They sat down with him. They talked to him. They had communion with him. They fellowship with him. So they were willing to die for him. Maybe you're not in love because you've never met him. Maybe you don't look forward to speaking to him in the morning. You go to bed without talking to him. You wake up without speaking to him. You go on a whole day and don't really love him. You always want him for something. You never just tell him how much you love and appreciate him and thank him and grateful. You never get broken in his presence. He doesn't mean everything to you. You use them conveniently. It makes you check yourself, doesn't it? It makes you check what is we really doing. Are we really in love with him? So I talked that about giving on the last clarion call because the motive behind our giving has to be love. And if it's not, you should keep your money. If you're tithing and you're not tithing because you love God, you're tithing because you're afraid that if you don't, you're going to be cursed with a curse, I'm tithing, no, then keep it because you will never get the blessing from it. And finances are very, very, very important because Jesus taught on giving them money more than any other subject in the Bible. So if you're good at everything else but you're bad at money, that's a problem because there's nothing that Jesus talked about more than money. Healing is good. Salvation is good. Deliverance is good. But he talked about none of that more than he talked about money. In Mark, the 10th chapter, there was a rich young ruler. My God, I feel this tonight. In Mark chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler who ran to the feet of Jesus, and he did it publicly. Now, this is a big deal because Jesus was not famous for being a good guy, but he was infamous. He was an insurrectionist. He, he went against the system. He was a true prophet. He was not a Donald Trump prophet, but he was a real prophet who spoke truth to power, who was misunderstood. So he was not famous, but he was infamous and known because he did things. And this rich young ruler ran to his feet publicly and said, what must I do? The man said, I've kept all of the commandments. And we know that's a lie because there are more than 10. There are 613. And if you break one, you break all. Jesus never gave us the commandments to keep them. He gave us the commandments to show us that we couldn't keep them. He said, I kept all the commandments. And look at what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, okay. 
you kept all the commandments, well, you're lying. But let me give you this one. Go take everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, it couldn't have been Jesus being selfish because he didn't ask for it. Jesus didn't say, give the money to me. He said, take everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And when he told them that, the Bible declares that that man left away sorrowful. You know what that shows you? God revealed that man's heart through his money. His heart, I hope you all are taking notes. You know, some of you do a lot of listening, but you don't take notes. When you write it down, it's able to get in your spirit because you're having to replay it to write it. That's why I take notes. He revealed his heart through his money. The man said that he kept all the commandments, but there was one command that he didn't keep. No other gods before me. His money was a god. He was not willing to give it up. And God located and showed him his heart through his money. If you have a problem with money, you have a problem with God. If you have a problem letting go of money, it's because money is your God. And all of us need to check ourselves and ask ourselves, where does money fit in our life? Does it matter to you? Are you willing to give up your comforts and sleep under a bridge as long as you have him? Are you willing to walk away from everything that you possess as long as he's with you? Because when you take that attitude, he'll make sure you have. Am I making sense? Money has power. According to Luke, the 16th chapter, I don't have time to really go into that, but it talks about this Lord. Read it when you get a chance. Luke 16, who used his money to position himself. He discounted people's debts, but he did it for a personal advantage. And and one thing I'm learning that a lot of times people who don't have money lust for it more than people who do. People who do have money don't lust for money because they know what it is to have money and have no peace. But I'm learning that people who don't have money lust for money more than people who do have money. Money has power. But money can either be used for good or it can be used for bad. It's dependent on the user. One person can take $100 and bless someone with a pair of shoes. Another person can take $100 and buy drugs. Nothing is wrong with the money because money is not evil, but the love of it is evil, and it's dependent upon the user. Sinners see the power of money more than saints. Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, says something very powerful, one of my favorite scriptures. And, and, and I really want you to understand this because God does not want you broke. God really wants you to walk in the blessing, in his fullness, Second Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. God wants you rich. I hear preachers on TV talking against health and wealth preachers. Well, if you're against health and wealth, that means you're for sickness and poverty. Why would you be against health? I come that you might have a life. John 10, 10, that more abundantly. Third John 2, beloved, I would above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health. First Peter 2, 24, with his stripes you were healed. If you're not for health, you're for sickness. And if you're not for wealth, you're for poverty. I want prosperity because prosperity is in the atonement. And when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about a house and a car and money. 
Because that's not the purpose of prosperity. Prosperity was never for you. So if we're talking about being a millionaire because you want to live good and you want a nice house and you're tired of struggling, then that's why you are struggling because the purpose for you having the money is wrong. God never wanted you to have money for you not to struggle. The purpose of him giving you the money, Deuteronomy 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord your God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. The purpose of God prospering you is never for you, but it's always been for the furtherance of the gospel. And if you don't understand that, guess what? You will never have it because your motive is wrong for having the money. Lord, I need money. I'm just tired of these bills. I'm just tired. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, watch this, may abound to every good work. God wants you to be blessed so that you can have an ability to give to every good work. Now, some of you don't give to every good work now, and you have a little bit of money. You use your money for you for your hair, for your clothes, for your shoes, to look wonderful. When is the last time you took the money that you spent to get your hair done and say, you know what, I'm not going to get my hair done for this amount of months. I'm going to give it to missionaries. I'm going to give it to my church. I'm not going to do all the things that I would like to do. The money that I would normally put aside for me, I'm going to give it to the kingdom. Not being asked for it, not because someone told you to do it, but within yourself, you flat out said, I'm going to take the money aside that I would have normally used to get my hair done, to go shopping, to go out, to, to work out, to do whatever I wanted to get my nails done. I'm going to take that money and give it to God. Because when you have that kind of attitude, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says he's going to make all grace abound towards you so that you can give to every good work. God wants you to get to a place where you live to give, that your whole existence is about giving and it's not for you. If you pray that prayer, God, I want to give to abound to every good work. God will make sure you have, because everything you have is for the furtherance of the gospel. Prosperity is not for you. Prosperity is for the kingdom. Didn't he say in Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be what? Added unto you. It's not for you. Ephesians 4.28, remember what he said? Let him that stole steal no more. Why? But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needed. God said when you work, every time you work, the job that you have ain't even for you. It's you're working so that you can give to him that needed. God said every seed you have is not for you. Every time I give you something, it's for you to give to a person that's in need. That's powerful. Because 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, God gives seed to the sower. 
I'm the reason you're not blessed is because you're trying to get your needs met and not his agenda. You have your own agenda. You have your own bills. You have your own responsibilities. You have your own things that you're trying to do. I got to pay this off. I got to pay this off. I have this. I have this. I have this mortgage. You have all these things that you're focusing on and never his agenda. Lord, what you want me to do with this money? You don't seek him. You don't wait on him. You already have planned what you're going to do with your money. Why? Because he's not first. And when you put God first, I'm about to say something very profound. You better get this. When you put God first, he will become responsible for your needs. If I put God first, he becomes responsible for my need. Well, Lord, what am I going to do about my house? What am I going to do about my car? What am I? God say, put me first. And if you put me first, I become responsible for your needs. You won't put him first. You love yourself. You love your luxuries. You love your comfortability. This man is preaching tonight. And I'm talking better than you saying amen, but it's okay. God said, put me first, and then I will become responsible for your needs. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it before you. Everything you invest for the gospel is going to bless your life. Everything. Do you know that when you, and look at it, when you read Luke the 16th chapter, because you see a man that put eternal value on his money. He made it something for the future. Do you know that every time you invest into the gospel, Every time you invest into a church, to your pastor, to the gospel, you are putting an eternal value on it because you don't know who's going to get saved because of the seeds you sow. And then their children are going to get saved. And then their children are going to get saved. So why don't you give it to God? I tell you all the time, if what you have doesn't meet your need, it's a seed. You already don't have enough. And most of us who don't have enough, we hold on to what we have because your prosperity is for you and that's wrong Luke the 16th chapter shows that a man was seeking money but he was seeking it for a selfish purpose and not for the kingdom your purpose your assignment your loyalty and your love cannot be divided it got to be single minded you got to live to give everything into the kingdom. Your whole existence, the reason I'm working, I'm not working to take care of me. I'm working for the kingdom. And if I make his need first and I make God's kingdom first, he becomes responsible for my need. That's powerful. Because when you read Luke, the 16th chapter, I think it's around verse Ten. I want to say something very powerful that's going to show you something. This whole context is about money. The whole scripture is about money. From Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 10, all through that whole chapter, it's about money. And then look at what he says in verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least. You know that God said money is the least area of stewardship. He called money the least. If you can't trust God with finance, 
but you can trust him for healing, something is wrong. If you can't trust God for finances, for your money, which Luke 16.10 say is least, something is wrong. Most of us never trust God with our finances. We only do it when we have enough. If you got extra money, then you give. If you got extra money saved up, then you give. That doesn't require faith. Money is the least area of stewardship. That means money is the beginning place. And most of you do not trust God with your money because your money is your God. If I ask you right now, I've told you this on the last one, if you had $10 and I had $100, and I said, give me that $10 and I'll give you 100 if you trusted me, you would give me the $10. And even if you didn't have the $10, you would look at the person next to you and say, give me $10. I'm about to get 100 back. I'll give it right back to you. If you don't do it, guess what it means? You don't trust me. God said, give so you can show me that you trust me. Faith without works is what? Dead. Give so you can show me you trust me. Because it's easy to say it at your mouth. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Oh, oh, oh. hallelujah. You do? Give. Show me you trust me. And if you're sore, he's going to give it back. Now, God knows the motive. If he knows that the only reason you're giving is because you want it back, he knows that, and you won't get a harvest on it. You have to be given for the gospel. And when you're sore and you have the right attitude about giving, Father, I love you, and I just want you to know that everything I have belongs to you. And whatever you tell me to give at any given moment, I'll give it to you. This money means nothing to me. God, you can have it all. I trust you today, and I want you to know I trust you. With the least area of stewardship, my money, you can have it. We don't trust him. We say we do. And you are never mature if you don't get a revelation on giving. God didn't ask you to give for, your needs, for, for his needs to be met. God wants you to give. Because he wants you to trust him. It, it, it don't make sense unless you trust God. And if you can't trust God to give, uh, when you say things like, if I had the money, I would give, you know what you're saying? I can't trust God to give. Well, pastor, if I had more money, I would give. You're saying, I cannot trust God to give. Your giving is best when you're down to your last. God, all I have is $100 left, and I'm giving. He said, prove me in Malachi. Prove me. God, I want to prove you that I trust you. 
I'm in no position to be given this money. Not a, but I want you to know I trust you. There's always a direct link between your wallet and your heart. If you show me somebody who can't have money, handle money, he'll never be faithful over eternal values. God's been dealing with me about this. And I'm searching my heart. Do you really trust him? Prophet Carr, do you really trust me? I live in a nice house. Am I willing to give it up? So, man, am I willing to go in the street? Does it matter to me where I live? Does the luxuries of life matter to me? Because if it does, I don't trust it. Take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat or drink. Matthew 632, your heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you act. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm never supposed to be worried about where I live. You're never supposed to be worried about where you stay. You're never supposed to be worried about clothes, how you're going to eat. If someone says give and you say, well, how am I going to pay my bills? The Bible says that's how Gentiles think. Matthew 6.32. Well, if I give, where am I going to stay? Where, where am I going to live? How am I going to eat? God said that's how Gentiles think. The birds don't worry. The grass doesn't worry. God said, don't you think I think more of you than grass? Seek me first and my righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. I'm learning so much. My whole life is changing. My whole theology is changing. My whole thought process is changing. I'm falling in love with him all over again. All over again. I'm falling in love with him. My motives are being checked. I've taught so much, said so much, thought I was right. I was wrong. I'm okay. My heart was displeasing. You know, Azar meant right when he wanted to stop the ark from falling, but he still died. Do you know how many people we damage just because our intentions are right? Doesn't matter. But I thank him for loving me enough to give me the truth and loving me enough to bring them to the truth. There's so much we need to do for the sake of the gospel. So many lives need to be saved. Nothing else matters to me but doing his will. So today, you say you trust God, prove it. You are not my source. Nobody on this phone is. None of you are my source. God is my source. Nobody I'm listening to takes care of me. You don't give to take care of the preacher. I know that's what preachers have taught. I know we tell you they that preach the gospel should live the of course you should bless your preacher. Of course you should bless your man of God. But your man of God, that's not why you're giving. And your man of God shouldn't look to you to take care of him. That's why I take no salaries from the church. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't. You are not my source. Christ is. If he don't do it, it can't be done. He's all I got. I'm challenging 400 people right now under the sound of my voice. Lord, I trust you. I trust you tonight. Whatever you ask me to give, I'll give it. Some of you, it'll be 50. 
Some of you would be 5,000. Somebody would be 5 million. But there are 400 people that need to give $50 tonight. Now, somebody would say, oh, I don't mind giving $50. That's nothing. That's change. Well, guess what? You need to give more to show him I trust you. $50 is nothing for me. $500 is nothing for me. $50,000 is nothing for me. Oh, but 500000 will be a whole lot for me. <laughs> I'm believing God, and I'm trusting him. If what you have doesn't meet your need, it's a seed. I'm challenging 400 people tonight to sow a seed of $50. But again, if 50 doesn't move you, then give more. Make it 100. Make it 1,000. Make it a million. Give it a seed tonight. Give a seed tonight that makes you say, mm, I needed that. Show them you trust them. Giving is best when it's your last. Giving is best when you trust him. And don't give it looking for nothing back. Give it tonight to show him I love you and I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I'm in no position to give this to 500, 5,000, $5, $5 billion. I am in no position to give this. But I want you to know, Lord, I trust you. Now, some of you will hang up and you'll hang up and say, I'm not doing it. That's fine. You don't have to. But there's a release in the spirit around for 400 people. So I trust you, Lord, and I'm going to give tonight. I'm asking you right now in faith to sow your seed, knowing that God's going to do the impossible. He'll give it back. You only have to look for it. He's going to give it back because it's a law. So there are laws. If you sow something in the ground, it's going to reap a harvest. My grandmother had a ritual where she would sit on the front porch and just eat tangerines. And she would take the seeds that she would eat on the porch and just throw them on the side. She wasn't trying to plant a tangerine tree. She was just throwing seeds. And now if you walk up to her house, there's a big tangerine tree, humongous. All she did was sow seeds, just threw seeds, kept seeds in the ground. One day rain hit it, seed took root, and the tree was grown. She didn't say, I'm planting this seed for a tangerine. She just threw seeds. You got to learn how to just sow and give seeds without a motive, just because I love you, Lord. I'm sowing this seed tonight. So everybody, under the sound of my voice, who's listening to me today, without hesitation, without thinking about it, with an attitude of praise like Paul said, Father, I bless you. Father, I love you. Father, I glorify you. Take about 30 seconds right now. Open up your mouth and tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you appreciate him. Tell him how grateful you are him thankful and how good he's been to you. Tell him how much you need him and appreciate him and thank him. Tell him how grateful you are for his mercy and his grace towards you.
Just tell him. Tell him how good he is, how awesome. Love on him. Tell him how good he is to you. Tell him how great. Father, I love you. Father, I do love you. Thank you for loving me enough to bring me the truth. Father, draw me closer to you. Make me a better person. I want to fall in love with you again, Jesus. I'm sorry for putting things before you. I didn't know. I'm sorry for being like this. I'm sorry for not trusting you. You've been so good to me. You've been kind. You've been great. You never held back on me. I'm sorry for holding back on you. Teach me how to love you. Teach me how to trust you. Teach me how to really trust you. I don't know how. I've always had to do things for myself. I don't know how to trust you. Teach me how to fall in love with you. I want to know you in an intimate way and fall deeply in love with you. I trust you with my life today. 400 people. So that $50 seed, 400 of you. Don't hesitate. Don't think about it. Your thinking a lot of time make you miss God. You sit down there and things have to make sense, and you miss it. There are 400 people need to give $50, but there's somebody saying $50 is not a sacrifice for me, so you got to up it. But there are 400 people without hesitating, without looking around, without thinking about it. Get that card right now. Go to BrianCarn.com, BrianCarn.org, and sow your seed in faith. This teaching has changed my life. And while you all are sowing into me, I'm sowing into other ministries because I'm trusting him. I need God to move. I have a church that we're getting ready to be. I need God. If God don't do it, it can't be done. I'm not going to the banks. I'm believing him debt-free. We're trusting God. Okay? Trust him. I'm cleaning my heart. Y'all, I'm so filthy. I have so much teaching in me that I didn't know was wrong, but I'm getting it right. You're cleansed by the word. So I love you today. Sow your seed in faith. God is going to speak to somebody to give $5,000 tonight. Somebody's going to give $10,000. Somebody's going to give $100,000. Somebody's going to give $500, $800, You know what it means to you. But sow your seed in faith. There are 400 people. You sow that seed. There's a gift that we'll be sending you as a token of our appreciation to let you know how much we love you and appreciate you for covenanting with Brian Carn Ministry. BrianCarn.com, BrianCarn.org, or you can send it in the mail at P.O. Box 11507, Jacksonville, Florida, 32239. I love you so much. Ask yourself, do I really trust him? If you do, Prove it, and so you're see tonight without hesitation. BrianCarn.com, P.O. Box 11507, Jacksonville, Florida, 32239. I love you. More grace.